0: Well, good morning, Grace family. Wherever or however you are joining us, we value you and are grateful to have this connection with you, just to rally around God's word, to worship together, to share in the bond of fellowship that we have in Christ, a bond far more powerful and compelling than any force that might seek to divide us. This is a rich blessing, and we're grateful. Well, today is Mother's Day, so happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. And though some may decry this holiday as a commercially manufactured one, I say, so what? Any chance we get to celebrate moms is a good thing, be it every day of the year or on the second Sunday in May. In Exodus twenty twelve, God instructs us to honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land, and that the Lord your God is giving you. To honor our parents means to love them, to regard them highly, to show them respect and consideration. Whatever our age, we never outgrow the obligation to honor our parents. And as for moms, the impact of moms that can have on their children and on their home is immeasurable and is without question, one of God's most significant means of his love and grace. That said, I think it's important to acknowledge that this past year has been a huge challenge for so many moms. Disruption that has been felt across our society has been particularly felt by moms, with school closures, at-home remote learning, and the assorted collateral impact of all of that. Then, of course, some moms have felt a vulnerability with COVID lurking, and that risk has added a tough dynamic for many families, young and old. It's a lot, and all of that on top of the regular demands of daily life. So we commend you, moms, for your faithful commitment to the noble task you undertake. You are part of a bigger story that is being played out eternally in the lives of your children, and you get to be a formative part of that story. What an incredible blessing to be able to be a part of God's work in that way. I think it's also appropriate to acknowledge that Mother's Day isn't always a celebration for everyone. We live in a fallen world, and As a result, this day can be a tough one for many. Some have lost their moms this past year. Others are experiencing the painful longing to be a mom. Some others have really challenging relationships with their mom. And some moms are in the season of painful estrangement from their children. Whatever your experience is, let me encourage you today. God has grace for you in that. So with all that in mind, let's take a moment to lift our women up in prayer today. Father, we thank you for our mothers and thank you for the women of our church. And we know you love them all, our single women, our single moms, those who are divorced, those who are widows, those who are happily married, and and those who find themselves in challenging circumstances. You know them, and we are so grateful you hold them in your faithful and loving hands. On this Mother's Day, we ask you for your comfort for those who are mourning over infertility, miscarriages, abortions, wayward children, and other consequences of our fallen world. And we praise you, Lord, that one day everything will be made right and beautiful. And we thank you for that. And we're so grateful for the joy so many of our moms are experiencing as they live out their noble calling. We rejoice for everything good and right in motherhood that shines as a testimony to your goodness, mercy, and redemption. We celebrate their lives and the praiseworthy deeds of the moms around us. And so we ask you for your blessing, encouragement, and protection for them all for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me then. Righteousness The great unchanged
2: Today, as we look at the beauty of God's Word, we'll be reading from Psalm 1, so join along with me in Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this morning we continue in this series on what fuels kingdom life. What are the practices that we can engage in by which we we feast on the goodness of the gospel. We consume grace every day. We taste and see that the Lord is good. And today we begin with our first basic practice, the idea of taking in scripture, consuming God's word, our daily bread. We're actually going to spend three weeks uh, looking at this most foundational of all practices. So we begin with Psalm 1, this great simple psalm, which of course opens the psalter. The psalter being this collection of poems and prayers, praises, uh, cries for help, lamentations, this just interesting mix of things. But I think someone appropriately frames the psalter and opens the psalter uh, with this wonderful word in verse 1 of blessed. Blessed. It, it, it is Psalm 1 invites us into a blessed life. It invites us into the way Of blessing, the way of truth and goodness, ultimately the way by which we receive God's blessing and favor. Uh, And it's the doorway into that life of blessing. And of course, it also warns us against uh, the way of destruction, as it puts it in verse six. So it gives us these two ways of life as we move into the entire book of Psalms and presents us with both of them in very simple terms. And really, the the issue, as we consider those those two ways of life, the the fundamental issue that Psalm 1 does is have us consider the company we keep. That's what Psalm 1 does. It asks us the question, whose company are you keeping? And there are two options. We can keep company with the wicked. Verse 1, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. The company that we can keep is really the company of the world in its, in its wicked ways. He's, he means the world, you know, people whose lives are lived without reference to God. People who live according to their own desires, their own whims, their own interests. And he gives us these three words that we can use. We can walk in their ways. We can stand in their ways. We can sit with them. And that Some scholars think that's a like a progressive commitment to that way of life, where you're first checking it out, and then you're actually kind of, you know, firmly entrenched in it, and finally totally committed to it. So that is one set of people we can keep company with. The other is, of course, in verse 2. Or we can keep company, or we can be those whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. We can keep company with what my translation says, the law of the Lord. In Hebrew, that is the Torah of Yahweh. We can keep company with God's Torah which is really certainly his laws, but it's much more than that. God's Torah is simply his instructions. It's, it's his rule of life. It's, it's all that he invites us to consider in life. Really, it's what I would call the word of God, what we would consider today as God's word. And what we can do is we can keep company with God's word. Two words are given here. We can delight in it. We can savor it. We can taste and see that it's good, and we can meditate on it right we can we can have this slow thoughtful consideration reflection of god's word so let me just at the front end of this let me just pose the question to you whose company are you keeping these days who are you keeping company with these days and in today's modern world i think we need to think not just in terms of whose physical company are you keeping but we need to think in terms of digitally and and you know in other ways, right? I mean, so much of, especially in this last year, most of the company we're keeping is is not physical. It's it's some other form. So we need to be thinking about, you know, who are the the talking heads that you're you're watching on cable news at night. We need to think about uh, the podcasters that we listen to on our way to work. We need to think about the online influencers whose blogs and um, whose you know tweets and and whose. Uh, Instagram posts we're following, when you think about the authors whose books we're reading, right? M- much of the company we've been keeping this year isn't physical. And so I actually want to focus a lot on, on the various forms of company that we're keeping and what that's doing to us. And I really do think that, that the church in America, I've been saying this over the last couple of weeks, but the church in America is really, it's, it's at a crisis moment in terms of the company that it's keeping. And it's at a crisis moment in terms of its relationship with the Word of God. Whether it sees that as as authoritative and whether it actually goes regularly to the word for its source of truth. So, the basic point of this psalm, it asks us, you know, whose company are you keeping? And and the fundamental point, I think, can be said in a phrase that we have in today's world, which is this. You are the company you keep. The company that you keep deeply shapes and impacts who you become. And so really what this this psalm does is lays out two pictures of the kinds of people we can become depending on the kind of company we're keeping. Here's the first picture. It's a picture of a tree. Verse 3, that person who keeps company with the word of the Lord is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So I'll show you a picture of a tree in a second, but I want to just first point out the reason we become that kind of person in keeping company with God's law is because of the kind of thing that God's Torah is, that God's Word is. I just want to think together for a second, what is God's Word? What's a good theology of the Word of God, right? We believe, first off, that the universe itself was created by God's Word, that in the beginning God simply spoke the universe into being. So his word is really the guiding principle of all reality. We believe then that, that God called a man named Abraham by his word. He spoke to him and he invited this man and then a group of people into a unique relationship with himself. We believe that God by his word spoke to this group of people, the Israelites at Mount Sinai and gave them his Torah, gave them his law, his instructions for living, the life of The good life that he was inviting them into, he gave through his word. As Christians, of course, most importantly, we believe that in Jesus Christ, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That in Jesus, we have God's word embodied in a human being, demonstrating what he desires, living the life that he wants us to live. And then, of course, finally, we believe that then God also breathed his word into this book, this collection of 66 books that we now have that we call the word of God. Second Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is God breathed. The idea being God from his very mouth breathed out words into human authors and onto these pages so that what we have is God expiring, right? We believe in the expiration of scripture, expiring his word into this collection of books that we have today. His Word, which answers the deepest questions of humanity. Who are we, right? What are our biggest problems? What's the solution? Where are things headed? These timeless truths, eternal truths, that yet at the same time remain remain applicable to every single generation. That's what God's Word is. And so it shouldn't be a surprise then, that when we keep company with God's Word, we become like a tree. Let me show you an image of what we become. The psalmist describes us as a tree, first off, that is planted, right? It's, we're grounded in something that is substantive, that is permanent, that is solid. It's God's eternal Word that we're grounded in. And it's planted by streams of water. Our lives are consistently refreshed. We have this endless stream of wisdom coming our way so that we're sustained and refreshed for the journey. And we're also described as these trees that bear fruit in season. As we're rooted, as we're refreshed, we are going to bear a lasting fruit, the, the fruit of a virtuous life, right, in this world as we live out God's ways. It says in season, right? Some seasons seem more fruitful than others, but over time, we will live these fruitful lives. It's a beautiful picture, really, who I think all of us deeply want to be. Grounded people, refreshed people, fruitful people. That is the image of those who keep company with God's Word. And then you have that contrasted, of course, with this image of those who keep company with the wicked, and it's an image of chaff. Verse 4, not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. You know, chaff, we we don't have a current experience of that, most of us, but it is, you know, it's something that grows up quickly with wheat, but then it dies quickly. It's cut down. It's it's blown away by the wind. It's burned with a fire. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. And when we keep company with sinners, whether that's online, whether that's in person, um, we're keeping company with people who who live however they want, who think however they want, who act however they want, and who let their own desires and whims and impulses dictate their lives and the obvious result is that we become like that too, right? We become like chaff, which is which is rootless. It's not it's not grounded in anything that's going to last. So it's it's just blown back and forth by the wind. We become people who are spiritually dry, who, who are not spiritually refreshed. And we might be constantly inundated with information and ideas, but that deep soul refreshment that is needed, we don't have. And we become people who are ultimately unfruitful. We might be very busy, we might have lots of constant activity, but not engaged in things that are are lasting and fruitful. And today, I want to just, you know, bring up one pervasive modern expression of chaff, which is really the digital online experience that all of us have at our fingertips with our phones, with our computers, with our TVs, and 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 really all of the sources of information that, that that represents for us. And I think I think chaff is such a good image to describe so much that happens in that environment. Right? I mean, there's all these sources of information that come to us in those ways that are so momentary, they're so fleeting, that are that are so here today and gone tomorrow, just like chaff. And I've been reading quite a bit lately about that digital experience. I want to give you a couple quotes from things I've been reading. Here's one. The internet is a medium of now. Its memory is short. Its shape ever changing. And that is so true. And I was even thinking about the, even the idea of news this week. I was like, you know, news is connected to the word new. (laughs) Duh. But like news is things that are new, which by definition means that today's news is not tomorrow's news, because by then it's really old. And what that means is things are coming so quickly, and, and so the information that's coming out in these in these forms, there's such a pressure to produce new content every day, right? Here's what this book says. The speed with which information, good, bad, and ugly, spreads in today's world means that imperfect data and hastily written analysis is spread confidently and quickly. The result is content that is often rushed, random, and even reckless that is so different from God's Torah, that is not produced quickly. It was literally produced over thousands of years of careful thought and reflection. So there's a pressure to produce content, and then there's this pressure to consume all this content that's coming at us all the time, right? Another quote, To navigate life online is to always be playing catch-up. Doesn't it feel like that sometimes? (laughs) Just trying to play catch-up online. Such a pace has no time for critical thinking and I even think of some of the the online voices that we go to that have become authorities in our lives many of us that we go to instead of the scriptures the the uh the influencers if we can call them that way and sometimes even Christian influences influencers who whose words or blogs or videos can be compelling um they can be interesting but so often fleeting and I just want to say like some of these people that seem so relevant now that their, their names will be lost in five years and some of these even Christian influencers, in 10 years, they won't even be Christians anymore. It's just That is just the reality of some of these things. But it, it, I say all that because to me, what we're experiencing right now, it's just such a particularly relevant example of chaff. Obviously, the psalmist would never have anticipated this, but it's such a good picture in this modern moment of chaff. So here's the sum. Whose company are you keeping? And here's your options. It is the Word of God, this unchanging permanent, deep, solid truths that will lead to these lives that are grounded, that are refreshed, that are fruitful, or you have these other sources that may be novel, uh, fascinating, interesting, but ultimately leave us rootless, leave us spiritually dry, and leave us maybe busy and, and harried and hurried, but not deeply fruitful in the most important ways. I love how Isaiah 40 puts it. All people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. Okay, so pretty black and white psalm, pretty simple. And put in those terms, like the right choice seems really obvious. But I thought we could spend a couple minutes just asking the question, if it, if it really is so obvious, um, then why do we so often go to the other sources? And all I'm doing here is just ignore, is, is acknowledging the really obvious reasons that we all know, but I think it's worth naming today. And I want to go back to the food analogy that we've been running with in this series. Uh, there's a great word in verse 2 that describes our relationship with God's law. And it's this word meditates, right? Whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That word uh, means to ponder, or to give careful thought and consideration to something. And and to use the food analogy, we could say to meditate is like to take something in, to chew on it over time, to to digest it, to turn it over again and again, and to take it in. Um, Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message, he has this great story of his dog as an, an analogy for what biblical meditation is. Let me read this simple story. He says, Years ago, I owned a dog who had a fondness for large bones. Fortunately for him, we lived in the forested foothills of Montana. In his forest rambles, he often came across a carcass of a white-tailed deer that had been brought down by the coyotes. Later, he would show up on our lakeside patio carrying his trophy, usually a shank or a rib. He was a small dog, and the bone was often nearly as large as he was. Anyone who has owned a dog knows the routine. He would prance playfully before us with his prize, wagging his tail, proud of his find, courting our approval. And of course, we approved. We lavished praise, telling him what a good dog he was. But after a while, he would drag the bone off 20 yards or so to a more private place and go to work on the bone. Here's where the image, I love this. The social aspects of the bone were behind him. Now the pleasure became solitary. He gnawed the bone, turned it over and around, licked it, worried it. Sometimes we could hear a low rumble or growl, what in a cat would be a purr. He was obviously enjoying himself and in no hurry. After a leisurely couple of hours, he would bury it and return the next day to take it up again. An average bone lasted about a week. And it's such, to me, such a, a delightful picture of what meditation is. It, it means to chew on and to digest and to ponder, and to to turn over again and again. And we have to do that with Scripture because of the kind of thing that Scripture is, which is it's this rich meal, right? It's this, this rich, substantive, complex, big thing. It's this thing that was produced over thousands of years, and so consuming it, taking it in, requires meditation over time to get it inside of us and to get inside of it. It's a fundamentally slow thing. And therein, I think, lies the challenge. Because in today's world, we don't like the slow thing, right? We, we want to use the food analogy. We want the fast food. We want the candy. We want the dessert and we want it all the time. We want the thing that is quick and easy and gives us instant impact. And that's what these other sources do, right? I mean, in the food industry, you know, there's these snacks like like Cheetos or Fritos, which I love both, by the way. Um, but if you know the, the background, these, these are foods that have been scientifically engineered for easy consumption. They have figured out the perfect combination of texture and taste and color and the perfect combo basically of, of sugar, salt, and fat for just this instant, quick, consumptive hit that we want. And that is such a good analogy for a lot of again what I've been talking about in terms of the online information access that we have. I think we're beginning to see how much this is also it's it's an experience that has been scientifically engineered to give us that that quick hit that that emotional sugar rush. We get pings on our phones. We we see headlines on on news feeds that that are literally designed to give us a hit of dopamine every time we see them and everything online is is being driven right all of it uh, by trying to get the most clicks trying to get the most views and so it has to stand out it has to give you that initial hit it has to it has to hook you in it's it's like an online candy store and scripture is such a different thing scripture is slow it's a slow meal it was produced slowly it's consumed slowly and that in some ways makes it a harder sell in our current cultural moment. And related to that idea, uh these different sources of information they're they're so very different in terms of what they initially require of you. And so much information that we get in today's culture, uh, the sort and the ways that we get them, really they don't require much of us at all, especially on the front end, right? They they almost always start with a felt need of ours, right? I have this felt need. I I want to check the sports scores or I want to look at the news or I want to buy something or I want to be entertained or I want to be distracted. And so I go into this virtual world and I start with exactly what I want. (laughs) And then as we know, over time, there are now these algorithms that are there to, to curate this online experience for each one of us that is uniquely tailored to us so that we see more and more of what we want to see based on what we've previously seen. And the whole thing's a little bit creepy, I think, over time and and dangerous on a number number of levels. But in terms of the experience, we get this increasingly tailored experience to my interests and my desires and my whims, and who wouldn't want that? And and Scripture is so fundamentally a different thing than that, right? Scripture so resists tailoring itself to my felt needs, which can be frustrating at times, right? But I I think the, the thing I'm trying to say is Scripture Always requires us to enter into its world. It is relevant to our world, but it, it requires us to enter into his, its world in so many different ways. I mean, the, the minute you open up this book, you are you're entering into a world that is so much bigger than you, right? That's been going on, that story that's been going on long before you, that will continue long after you. And you're you're having to engage these ideas that are big and these even terms sometimes that are complex and confusing at first. Uh, and it, it's not tailoring itself to your felt needs. I mean, I was thinking, give you a couple examples. Uh, We just finished the book of Job in Axios. So if you open your Bible, the book of Job, it begins this way. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. So to enter into that book, you are being transported to a time over 4,000 years ago to a culture so completely different than our American culture today and to a literary world of dense Hebrew poetry, okay? That's not the felt need you had when you woke up in the morning to read Job, right? Um, we t- together, right at the beginning of this year, we are walking through Matthew's gospel to look at kingdom life. When you read Matthew's gospel, it, it begins with a bunch of people begatting a bunch of other people. It begins with this long genealogy leading up to Jesus that will bore you to tears. But what it's doing is it's inviting you into a history and a story and telling you that Jesus doesn't pop up out of nowhere, he's part of God's plan, and yet you start reading that and you can fall asleep right away. Or even really famous books like the book of Romans. You could come to Romans and, you know, looking to apply God's word in the day, looking for that nugget you can take into your day and, you know, implement to make a difference in your in your day. And you get into Romans and Paul's going to give you 11 chapters of theology before he tells you to do a thing. So it's it's an interesting thing that scripture is. And of course, there are so many pages that will bring such deeply comforting truths to you and encouragements and promises, but it will also constantly confront you, your life. It will confront the way you live your life, and oftentimes on the very same page that it comforted you. All that to say, Scripture requires you to enter into its world, to accept accept life on its terms, and to conform your life to its reality, not verse, uh, vice versa. So, all of this, as we, again, the food analogy, the fast food versus these, the substantive meal, it all requires us to ask really hard questions of ourselves. Like this Do, do I want a life where I'm, I'm always informed? I'm always entertained? I'm always distracted? Or do I want to be the kind of person who is deep, who is thoughtful, who is grounded, and who is fruitful over the long haul? Do I want to live in a world that is always conforming itself to my desires and whims? Or do I want to be increasingly conformed to reality as it actually is in the deepest sense of that word? Those are hard questions. So I think I've said enough today, but I want to wrap up. This is week one on scripture with these basic principles. You are the company you keep, or we might say it Another way, you are what you eat. And with that, I want to leave you uh, with the other word in verse two. It's actually a delicious word. It is the word delight. Those who whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And I love that this that this invitation of Psalm one is not simply to go to Scripture instead of other things out of duty and obligation, but it's an invitation to delight in God's word, to feast, to savor and enjoy it. And I think the thing to say as I close and I think about this word delight is to say it is such a deep delight. But it is also an acquired taste. Right? It's it's not the delight of cotton candy. It's the delight of a good fillet. It's the it's the, the delight of of a good aged wine. That's that's the thing we have here. And so we need to become people who delight in the slow meal. The meal that doesn't give you the initial hit, right? But that gets better the deeper and deeper you go. And we need to learn to even delight in the confrontation that we will experience, the way this book confronts us in all sorts of ways. We actually need to learn to delight in the challenge that it speaks into our lives. Scripture says this, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And the idea being when there's someone you trust who has your best interest but speaks hard truth um that's a faithful thing and that's a good thing and really ultimately what we have in god's word is we have a faithful friend that comforts us but that also wounds us and so we need to learn to delight in both to delight in the comfort but also to delight in the hard truth knowing yes ultimately this is so good it's so nourishing to my soul because in the end i don't want something that's going to say what my every whim wants to hear. I I need something that's going to say what my soul most deeply needs to hear. So with that, the invitation is this. Let us delight in the Torah of Yahweh. Let us taste and see that the Word of God is good.
1: Oh, Lord, my God. some wonder consider all the world's thy hands have made I see the stars I hear the rolling thunder thy power throughout the universe displayed then sings my soul da
0: Well, we hope you have been encouraged by today's message, and we invite you to keep the conversation going with uh, the questions that we provided immediately following this.
2: Let's leave you with this great benediction. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, to him be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.
0: Amen.